Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquino on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today's reading is from John chapter 11, verses 21 through 26. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? The word of the Lord. Well, this weekend we're celebrating Halloween. Halloween is actually a super holy holiday. It's three holidays rolled into one, All Hallows' Eve, All Hallows' Day or All Saints' Day, and All Souls' Day. But for such a super holy three-for-one, it's got kind of a bad rap. It's super misunderstood. Some Christians think it's a devil's holiday. And that's pretty fair. Because in our culture in America, right, there's plenty of devil worship to go around. And Halloween has become a great opportunity for public demonstrations of ghoulishness and debauchery. And, well, even outright Satanism. It's all good in the hood these days, right? But Halloween has much more holy, much more auspicious origins than that. It's an old church holiday going back to the earliest Christians. Actually, it's based on an even older Jewish holiday. And I could spend a few weeks talking about the history of this wonderful holiday. There's so much to correct about our culture's misconceptions about Halloween. I'm sick of hearing that Halloween, it's a pagan holiday. Far from it. In fact, Christians often say it's a pagan holiday. No, that's not the case at all. The pagan fall festivals that coincide with Halloween are in most cases nowhere near as ancient as the Jewish holiday that Halloween comes from. And in plenty of cases, some of them aren't even as old as the church holiday. But of course, we do owe many of our modern day Halloween customs to the many nations who celebrated it in their own way. I mean, the church started celebrating Halloween in the 7th century. But many of our traditions come, for instance, from 16th century Mexico, the de los Muertos traditions that developed in response to the Spanish church, like skeleton costumes of death and so forth. And of course, the mumming and guising of the Celts, the Celtic Christians during their harvest of Samhain, became European Halloween tradition around the same era. But it should be noted that it wasn't the church that adapted these customs to their holiday celebrations. It wasn't the church that adapted them from the people. It was the people who chose to celebrate the church holidays in their own way. That's where these traditions come from. 
Now, it's no coincidence that Halloween falls near harvest time because it's the church's continuation of the harvest festival of ancient Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. But before I get to that, I want to talk a little bit about the pagan harvest festivals and how they relate to Christian teaching, since pagan myths are still alive today and many people still believe in them and preach them, especially in relation to Halloween, okay? Which pagan myths am I talking about? Well, what many of you may have heard, and what I myself was taught as a child, is that Halloween falls at a time of year when the veil between life and death is the thinnest. Have you heard that before? The veil of life and death is at the thinnest. Well, many of my friends, full-grown adults, have been talking about this all week on Facebook, and they're sharing anecdotes and memes about this online right now. They always do it this time of year. I used to. Does anyone know where this idea came from? We should ask that about anything being shared on Facebook, but this idea in particular, I'll tell you. I'll tell you where it came from, but I'll have to teach you a bit about astrology. The long and the short of it is that at this time of year, at least in this hemisphere, the sign of Scorpius is in the sky, and that's a zodiac sign, Scorpio, which is said to be ruled, according to astrology, by the planet Pluto. But of course, in astrology, Pluto is more than a planet. Pluto is the ruler of the underworld, Hades, the underworld, the land of the dead. Hence, the Earth is somehow connected more closely than usual to the place of the dead at this time, according to this ideology. Now, this might sound hokey to some of you, but it's not hokey to many people even nowadays. There is a major resurgence of interest in astrology, and it was certainly not hokey to the civilizations in the time before Christ, who literally built their civilizations around astrology. It was considered one of the pillars and foundations of truth in the nations of the Gentiles, of Chaldea, of Egypt, of Assyria, of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Many people swear by astrology today, although most couldn't tell you where these ideas come from or which ancient religion they're unknowingly practicing. Well, the ancient Christian converts from these false religions noticed something which we might not fully understand in our day, since I don't think even a modern astrology buff can fully fathom astrology's importance to the pre-Christian mind. But an ancient Coptic Christian text written by a former astrologer and horoscope caster can give us a glimpse. He says that when Christ came, he altered the heavens and changed the courses of the stars and took away their power. He altered the heavens and changed the courses of the stars and took away their power. It says that since the coming of Christ, the horoscope casters are bound to say nothing true, for Christ has changed the influences of the fates and has become their ruler. There are many such accounts like this, and of course, biblical prophecy said that Christ would change the course of the heavens when he came. The magi who visited him were likely astrologers. These were the wise men of the era before Christ. They used to believe that the stars and the fates ruled the world, but they all testify that Christ, when he came, put them down and became ruler over them all in fulfillment of prophecy. So it can truly be said, in this one particular way, that this time of year is not in fact notable for the veil between life and death being the thinnest due to the zodiac, because Christ, according to the ancient former astrologers who converted to the true faith, Christ long ago ended the influence of the zodiac 2,000 years ago. So much for that. But what about this veil between life and death? 
Does it mean that it's no longer thin at this time of year? What, it's just fully veiled all the time, 24-7? No, uh, the opposite, in fact. And this next point is the most important part, the most important lesson of this holiday, All Hallows' Eve, All Hallows' Day, All Souls' Day. This ancient holiday which the ancient church instituted in hopes that the world would believe and be transformed by this lesson. And the lesson is that the veil between life and death is no more. It's not just at a certain time of year that it's thin or taken away. The veil between life and death is no more 24-7 for all time forever. The veil is no more. It is donezo, finito, kaput. The veil between life and death is removed because death itself has been destroyed in Christ, and in Him the veil is taken away. That's from 2 Corinthians 3.16. There's only life. We must remember what Jesus said about the resurrection. He said there's only life. How did He say this? He said, God is not God of the dead, but of the living. For to Him all are alive. That's Luke 20.38. Okay, there's only life. And think about it this way. Christians, we all await the resurrection of the dead, right? And yet, in the gospel account of the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John saw Elijah and Moses, who were dead, standing with the living Jesus. How is that possible? Christ hadn't even died, yet alone risen again. Well, Christ was the first fruit of the resurrection. What, did Elijah and Moses beat him to it? Okay. Well, Jesus' teaching about the resurrection should correct our expectation. He doesn't define the resurrection as an event, but a person. And the person is himself. In John 11.25, he says plainly, I am the resurrection. So we say we believe in the resurrection. We shouldn't think of it in terms of an event that has or hasn't happened yet, right? Rather... It's a matter of the resurrection, who is Jesus, being revealed, okay? And Jesus, by the way, is the Alpha and the Omega. So that means the resurrection isn't just there in the end with the Omega, it's there in the beginning with the Alpha, right? Albeit hidden in Christ. Hidden. It was hidden in Him in the beginning. So, what did the apostles see in the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, they saw the resurrected Elijah and Moses with the transfigured Christ. This was a revelation, this was a vision. This was an unveiling. Just like John the Revelator had a vision of this same thing on the island of Patmos when he saw what he called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? And so, though we often say we believe in the resurrection of the dead, as the Nicene Creed states, and this is true, it's perhaps more specific and proper to say that we all believe in the revelation of Jesus Christ just as John the Revelator called it, because Jesus Christ is the resurrection. And so, what we are really saying is that we believe in the revelation of the resurrection. Okay? So, this is how Scripture talks about the resurrection. It doesn't talk about when the resurrection will happen, but when the Son of Man will be revealed, right? In Luke 17.30. And as we know, every Christian from the beginning of the church has always believed in the resurrection of the dead, which is, of course, the revelation or unveiling of Christ, our resurrection. So in this way, we can truly say that the veil between life and death is no more. Because in Christ, who said, I am the resurrection, and he revealed himself, well then, it is completely unveiled.
right? There is no more veil. Now, back to the Jewish roots of Halloween, because this part strikes at the heart of what this holiday is really about. Now, Halloween is the Christian outgrowth of Sukkoth, the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Some would also say Feast of Tents. So we first hear about this holiday in Exodus 23:16. Note some of the language that it uses here, okay? This is what it says. You shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Let's slow that down. You shall observe the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. Okay, here's the language to note. Did you catch it? Harvest, first fruits, sowing. Okay. Scripture compares the resurrection to the harvest. 1 Corinthians 5 says that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. Later in the same book and chapter, Paul says that the dead are just like a seed is sown, and out of that seed grows the fruit of the resurrection. Sowing, seeds, fruit, harvest. So the harvest festival of ancient Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles of the Old Covenant, was a shadow of what would be revealed or unveiled with the New Covenant, the resurrection, that is, Jesus himself, right? Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is all about the gathering of all the harvest, not just the first fruits, but then all of the fruits, each in its own turn, right? First fruits and then the rest. So, in the same way, it points not just to the first fruits of the resurrection, but the whole of the resurrection harvest. Remember, they believed in the resurrection of the just and the unjust. So, this corresponds not just to the saints who are the first fruits who belong to Christ, but also those who don't belong to him. All souls. This is why the church celebrates not just All Saints Day, but All Souls Day. Okay? You celebrate all saints, and then you pray for all souls. That's what these holidays were about. This is a very special holiday for literally everyone. This is why we shouldn't stand for people trying to pigeonhole Halloween as a specific holiday to a certain nation or a certain culture, okay? This holiday is literally for all souls. It's for everyone. And it's especially for those among us here today who have ever prayed for a loved one who has passed away before knowing God's love in Christ. All Souls Day is the church's testimony, the church's ancient testimony, that God hears our prayers for them. Now, is a holiday meant to be a mass, a divine liturgy centered in that prayer? Sometimes, Protestants, we forget that everything is based around the mass in the church life. Okay? So, All Souls Day was a day where the Mass, the Divine Liturgy, was devoted to all souls. Okay, well this tradition of the Mass to all souls, it actually comes out of an older tradition, which St. Paul talks about, where before Masses were offered for the dead, it was taught that believers weren't just baptized for their own sakes, but their baptisms were also on behalf of the dead, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As Paul says, if the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them, right? But indeed, the dead are raised in Christ, who is our resurrection. Whereas long ago there was a veil between life and death, and the resurrection was veiled, well, now God has revealed his grace through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's from 2 Timothy chapter 1. 
Now this gospel, according to Romans 1.16, is the power of God to everyone who believes. So as we celebrate Halloween, let's pray for all souls and trust in the power of God, in whom is the gospel hope of resurrection, which again is not merely an event, but a living person, Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.